Alhamdulillahi wa kafa. Wassalamu ala ibadihi alladhina astafa. Amma ba'd. Fa'udhu billahi minash shaytanir rajim. Bismillahir rahmanir rahim. Walladhina jahadu fina lanahdiyannahum subulana. Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifun Wassalamun ala al-mursaleen Walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen Allahumma salli ala sayyidina Muhammad Wa ala ali sayyidina Muhammad Wabarik wa sallim Allahumma salli ala sayyidina Muhammad Wa ala ali sayyidina Muhammad Wabarik wa sallim اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم الله سبحانه وتعالى has created us from two distinct components we have a body and we have a soul and each of these components has a command center. Again, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created us of two components. We have a body and we have a soul. And each of these components has a command center. The command center of the soul is the spiritual heart. The command center of the soul is the spiritual heart. And the reason that the qualifier spiritual is used before the word heart is because you have a physical heart and you have a spiritual heart. For example, the Prophet mentioned that when a person performs a sin, a black dot comes upon their heart. And if they perform another sin, another black spot comes upon their heart until eventually the entire heart gets sealed. Obviously, that's not the physical heart. If you go into a cardiac surgery, and it doesn't matter how big the sinner is, you're not going to see a black heart. What's being referred to is the spiritual heart. So the spiritual heart is the command center of the soul. And so too does the body have a command center. The command center of the body is called the nafs. The command center of the body is called the nafs. And one of the very important features of developing spiritually and advancing in our deen globally is to understand the nafs. The nafs is essentially, the way to think about it is that, maybe let me say it this way, that, that you have a body and a soul, and these two are always struggling against one another. 
There's a body and a soul, and these two are always struggling against one another. The soul is inherently spiritual, and the body is inherently desiring to fulfill all that it desires. And there's a struggle between these two. So you can say there's a struggle between the body and the soul, or you can say that there's a struggle between uh, the heart and the nafs. So what does the nafs want? What does the body want? If the nafs is the command center of the body, then what does the body want and what is the nafs driving it to do? The body wants all its desires to be fulfilled. The body wants to eat when it wants to eat. The body wants to sleep when it wants to sleep. The body wants to look at what it wants to look at with no restrictions. The body wants to pursue whatever it desires. The body wants to eat anything at any time at any place. And this is all driven by the nafs. In fact, you can even argue that the whole spiritual battle lies at the level of the nafs, particularly for a Muslim. Why? Because once Islam comes into the heart, the soul automatically has what it needs to succeed. Otherwise stated, you don't need anything more than the shahada and the five pillars to succeed. So if you gained success, meaning you won the game, you're, you're, you're winning the game if you have Islam, because you have the shahada, you have the five pillars, then where does the battle lie? The battle actually lies at the nafs. You understand the point? I mean, in an average person on the street, the battle lies at the level of the soul. They have to appreciate that they need to purify their soul of any kind of lack of uh, appreciation of a creator or any kind of association of partners with that creator. So if you bring anybody off the street and you ask me, where does their battle lie? What's the next important step in their life? What's the challenge that they face? The challenge that they face is to appreciate and connect and elevate their soul by, by ripping off that layer, that dark layer of shirk and kufr. But in the case of a Muslim, this layer has been removed and the acceptance of the five pillars is there, the desire to perform five pillars are there. Actually, in many cases, everybody's already performing more than the five pillars. So the battle doesn't lie at the soul. The battle lies at the nafs. Because if the nafs can be curtailed and controlled, then the soul will naturally shine, express itself, and allow a person to succeed. So do you understand the distinction? It's very important for someone who's seeking spirituality, for someone who's seeking honestly, not even spirituality, this is, a, this is Islam 101. This is Islam 101. Anyone who's seeking an experience of their Islam needs to recognize that the battle doesn't lie at the soul, the battle lies at the nafs. Another way to say it is that we are spiritual beings held down by a bodily experience. 
And listen again to the words carefully. We are spiritual beings tied down by a bodily experience. Meaning, we're inherently spiritual beings. What's restricting us from achieving that is the fact that we're tied down by a bodily experience. So what, why, is that, why is that statement important? Because what it's telling you is you don't need to become more spiritual. We need to become less body. You understand what I'm saying here? Because you can add and add and add to the spiritual side of things, but until you plug the hole of the nafs, you're not going to be able to experience that spirituality. So one of the things that our scholars, they emphasize is that the experience of the deen for the one who's taken the shahada, for the one who accepts the five pillars, for the one who's striving to establish the deen in their lives, the struggle, the battle, lies at the level of the nafs. So that's the first important point to recognize. Now, regarding the nafs, there's a lot to say. The nafs is an animal. It's the command center of the body. And it wants to do whatever it wants to do. And the deen is a cage. The deen cages the nafs, essentially, and says, you can't do this. For example, this is haram, you cannot eat this. This is haram, you cannot look at this. This is haram, you cannot go there. This is haram, you cannot partake of that. This is haram, you cannot transact in that way. So what's it really doing? What is, what is that, in the, in the grand scheme of things, what's happening there? There's a cage being placed on the nafs. You can't just do anything you want, anytime you want, any way you want, anywhere you want, in any which way and how you want. You have to fall, restrain yourself, and that restraint will create, it will contain the nafs, and it will create purity. Another way to think about the nafs and I'll just give you one. If you want to take home one point, there's two points you can take home from this lecture. The first point is the battle lies at the nafs. Hopefully we got that far. The second point, which is the only other point that I need you to take home from this uh, session here, is that the simple rule of the nafs is as follows. Control it or it will control you. Listen very carefully. Control it, or it will control you. There's no middle ground. Either we recognize the nafs, and we put the appropriate restraints on it by limiting it to a certain degree, or it will take over us, and it will begin to drive us to do things that do not benefit us, and in fact, that harm us, that curtail our development in our deen, and that curtail our ability to be able to experience the beauty of Islam. So the battle lies at the nafs, and the simple rule that establishes how, the nafs, how to deal with the nafs is control it or it will control us. That's essentially the summary of the nafs. It's very interesting just to show you the extremity of how this, where this lies, the Prophet, Prophet ﷺ, he would make dua 
that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect him from a nafs min nafsin la tashba' from a nafs that is not satisfied from a nafs that is not satisfied now what does that mean it means that one characteristic of the nafs is that it's never satisfied and we should seek protection from such a nafs for example I'll just tell you the principle concerning the nafs as I told you we control it or it controls us and the way to control it is to cage it it's literally like a wild animal it's literally like a wild animal and if you ask anyone who has experience with wild wild animals they'll tell you that the only way to control a wild animal is to give it minimum you don't like give the wild dog that's out there guarding your house uh, you know all these extra meals and all this extra amenities you give them just you throw them a bone on occasion i was in jordan this summer last summer and uh, there was an individual who's um, he had a farm and we would uh, visit this farm on occasion and he had two extremely wild dogs so wild that uh, he would put them like at this very very high height on a roof and no one would go near these dogs he couldn't even bring them down ever he they were extremely wild he said the only time i bring these dogs down is when i know there's nobody in like a 1 mile radius and then i'll bring these dogs down because they will only um listen to me they will not listen to anyone else anything else in the vicinity they will attack and he was explaining how he controls these dogs and one of the things about controlling these dogs was he only gives them food once a day and literally like uh, i mean i would we would go into this barn and these dogs would be on this height like about this balcony high and they would be looking at us i mean you would just look at these dogs you you would be afraid that if this dog comes down what am i going to do it, and they would just walk back and forth but that's the way that he controlled those dogs similarly when you go to a um you go to like a place where they have wild bears if you've ever gone to such a place national parks there's these signs every don't feed the bear bear don't feed the bear don't feed the bear why because if you if the people start feeding the bear the bear will start coming they'll become wild they'll start attacking it has to be controlled so the nafs is exactly like that it's a wild animal that has to be controlled and if we feed it the only thing that it wants is more the nafs will never say oh thank you i'm content the nafs will always want more now look the prophet said something he's making dua he made dua for four things in this dua i'm just focusing on one today for, for he asked allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for protection from a nafs that is not satisfied from a nafs that is not satisfied now just think about the life that we live today we're constantly giving our nafs what we want what it wants and you see that it never submits think about the nafs the nafs loves to sleep and what happens is when a person gives the nafs more and more sleep then the only thing the nafs wants to do is sleep more 
And it, it doesn't satisfy the person. Literally, we live in a time where we can sleep 12, 15 hours in a day, and we wake up wishing we could sleep another 12 or 15 hours in the day. Because it doesn't matter how much sleep the nafs receives, there's a certain amount of sleep that's appropriate for it. If you give it that much sleep and balance it with everything else, it will be satisfied. But if you give it more and more and more, it will take control and literally put the person to sleep for hours and hours on end, and they will wake up unsatisfied. And exactly what we have today. People sleep and sleep and sleep, and then when they wake up, they're tired as if they never slept. Same thing with food. How much food do people consume and are not satisfied? Literally, like, you look at the world around us, we have every amenity available to human beings. It's not a question of, like, should I drink orange juice? I've mentioned this many times before. It's not a question of, should I drink orange juice? It's which brand, how much pulp, what other juice should be mixed in? Now, we look at that as a blessing. Alhamdulillah, it is a blessing. But if we're constantly feeding the nafs everything it wants, it wants candy, I give it candy. It wants noodles, I give it noodles. It wants Chinese, I give it Chinese. It wants, um, you know, uh, Mediterranean, I give it Mediterranean. It wants juice, I give it juice. It wants this mix, I give it that mix. If we're constantly feeding the nafs, it doesn't satiate the nafs. And we have a situation now where Instead of dying of lack of food, we're dying of food. Literally, we eat until we get diseased. And then the only thing that stops people from eating is the fact that they have disease, but they eventually get sick of that and just keep eating. So look at, look at, look at, the, look at the consequence of feeding the nafs. Food upon food, we fill the nafs. Does the nafs say, okay, thank you, uh, I'm full, I'm content, you gave me all the amenities in the world, I'm content? No. The nafs then actually wants to eat the next thing. You can't, you can never satiate the nafs. I mean, subhanAllah, we live in a time where people are married. It's halal. There's a halal up, um, marriage in front of them. And then the nafs makes them look beyond the marriage and convinces them that there's something outside that would be of benefit to them. So literally, halal is, is sitting between the husband and wife. Their interaction is halal. But the nafs wants not to be bound by a marriage. The nafs wants to be able to go out and interact with this person and look at that person and have this person smile at them and have this person say something nice to them. So even though there's a completely halal circumstance in front of two people, both nafs in those people fail to recognize the power of the circumstance that they find themselves in and instead begin to look outside of that halal circumstance and situation. What's that a problem of? That's a problem of nafs. That's a problem of nafs. The nafs will never be satiated. And subhanAllah, person goes out and they think in their mind, because you know, the mind will convince you of anything. They think in the back of their mind, oh, well, you know, I'll just meet with this one person and that will handle the whole problem. I'll be fulfilled. But that's never going to handle the problem. 
Because the nafs never get satisfied. Give the nafs one, it wants two. Give the nafs, give the nafs two, it wants four. Give the nafs four, it wants eight. Any domain of life, you look at food, you look at sleep, you look at, um, you, you look at amenities. I mean, you know, you think that, I think for a minute, that if, a, if, you, if you give the nafs one vacation, it's going to be happy with that? No. I mean, you could think in your mind, I'm going to take the best vacation ever. And this vacation is going to be, it's going to be the vacation of vacation so that I never want to go on vacation again. Nobody's going to remember the vacation the next day. You literally will go on vacation. You can, you can have all the amenities available to yourself. It could be the perfect uh, vacation with every, you know, in, Instagram-like image. And what ends up happening three days later, nobody remembers the vacation. Everybody's saying, what's next? Give me more. You can have a closet full of clothes. And you'll say, I have nothing to wear. A closet full of clothes. And you'll say, I have nothing to wear. You can have a closet full of shoes. And you'll have, I have nothing to, uh, nothing for my feet. It's just human nature. It's not a commentary on any one person. It's a commentary on the nafs as a whole. The solution to the nafs is never to give it what it wants. It's not that if I go eat this pizza, I'm going to be good. If I go, on this, if I go visit this place, I'm going to be good. If I go and shop till I drop, I'm going to be good. If I get a proper, proper sleep number bed, I'm going to be good. No, it's not possible. Because the nafs, when fed, is never satisfied. And when fed, the worst thing, not only is it not satisfied, it gets stronger. It gets more wild. It wants more. And it begins to take control of the person and drive them so that its purpose becomes the purpose of their existence. How, how is it that a human being literally has millions of dollars and says, I have nothing I need more? I mean, you, you talk to some people, they literally have millions of dollars, and they'll tell you the whole sad story about how they don't have more. Why? It's not them. Because if you would have met them when they were children, and you would have given them $5, they would have been happy with five. It's the nafs. It's the nafs of every human being. It's just, the nature of, it's just the nature of who we are. It never will be satisfied. We cannot satiate it. We cannot give it what it wants. The only way to bring it in control is to curtail it. So when the Prophet ﷺ, he makes dua, asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that uh, he be protected from a nafs that is never, that is never uh, satisfied, what really we're being reminded of is that this is a disease. We too should recognize that we have a nafs and we don't want a nafs that, wants, that is never sat satisfied. The nafs will be satisfied not by giving it what it wants, but by limiting it to such an extent that it becomes happy with what it gets. And, by the way, the beauty of that, the beauty of that circumstance is that by doing so, it allows the spirit to grow. By limiting, see, because these two things are at war. There's a, there's a tight box, and these two things are at war. The nafs is battling the heart. If the nafs becomes dominant, it takes all the oxygen in the room, and the heart can't breathe. 
But if the nafs is curtailed so that there's room for the heart to expand, then the person begins to experience and taste deen. And when they begin to experience and taste deen, then it's more tasty than any food. It's more pleasurable than any trip. It's more comforting than any clothing. It's more satisfying than any home. That's the reality of the balance between the body and the soul. So, again, because the major step is taken care of in the case of a Muslim, meaning the Muslim has already purified themselves. We call that tezkiyah. They've already purified themselves of what? They've purified themselves of shirk. They've purified themselves of kufr. They've purified themselves of basic things that are filthy. Now what's left, the, the major battle lies at the level of the nafs. And the major way by which the nafs is controlled is never to give it what it wants, rather to give it what it needs. Now notice the difference. There's a difference between a want and a need. A want is every desire. A need is what's essential to survive. So what does the deen teach us? The deen teaches us, particularly the sunnah, teaches us to give the nafs it need, the needs. It recognizes the needs. It doesn't teach us to avoid the nafs uh, completely. It teaches us to recognize that the nafs has certain needs, that we have to provide for those needs, but we can't go to the level of desire so that we allow the nafs to, um, to maintain itself without controlling us. Meaning we control it rather than it controls us. So you'll see, for example, the Prophet mentions... Uh, just as an example, uh, the worst thing you can fill, just paraphrasing here, because I'm talking off the top of my head, the worst thing you can fill is the stomach. The worst thing that the child of Adam can fill is the stomach. If, if they need to put anything in it, then it should be one-third air, one-third food, one-third water. Now, when this advice is given to us, one-third air, one-third food, one-third water, notice a couple things. Number one, it's really a commentary on the nafs. Meaning the more you feed this thing, the more it's going to want. The more you give it this kind of pizza, this kind of coffee, this kind of hamburger, every, you know, five meals a day, today it's Chinese, tomorrow it's Mediterranean, that doesn't feed the hunger. The, the, worst, the funny thing is it doesn't even quell the hunger. It doesn't quench the hunger. It doesn't quench the thirst. It just leads to more hunger and more thirst. So we're being told here in this narration that the worst thing you can do is to fill this because the more you put into this, the more that it's only going to desire. So if there's anything that's going to go in here, the maximum, by the way, this is not like uh, the goal. This is the maximum. Maximum one-third air, one-third food, one-third water. And that's the way by which the nafs gets controlled. So where are we learning the control of the nafs? It's not from some book in Barnes and Noble. It's from the sunnah. The sunnah is teaching us how much we should eat with the understanding that the, that the food is a function of the body rather than the soul. But look at the opposite extreme. When it comes to dhikr, we're told to do abundant dhikr. Throughout the Quran, we're, in, we're reminded to do abundant dhikr. Why? Why? Because there is no overfeeding of the soul. 
the nafs, the body, needs to be curtailed. Its food needs to be curtailed. It needs to be limited. But when it comes to the soul, feed it and feed it and feed it and feed it. Keep your tongue busy in the dhikr of Allah 24-7. Because that's the food for the soul. So the paradigm is not hard. Honestly, to achieve spirituality is not hard. Meaning to understand the theory, let me say it this way, the theory of how to achieve spirituality is not hard. You don't need to go to some retreat in a faraway place and, uh, and, and learn all these esoteric things. It's very simple. This, this, this deen is very simple. If a person can control their nafs and bind it by the cage called the sunnah, bind it in the cage called the sunnah, then the mere shahada plus the five pillars of deen will elevate a person and they will taste the depths of their Islam. And on top of that, once the nafs gets controlled, they'll have the energy and space to be able to do other additional things. But if a person is going to let the nafs run wild, they're going to eat whatever they want to eat, whenever they want to eat. They're going to go wherever they want to go. They're going to give every single amenity to the nafs. They're going to feed and feed the nafs and feed and feed the nafs until it turns into a wild animal. Then no matter how much you pound on the door of worship, no matter how much you pound on the door of worship, it will be very, very hard to survive the nafs. Because it is such a wild animal, it will drive whoever lets it uh, be in control. So the battle lies at the level of the nafs. And the control of the nafs must occur, otherwise it will control us. And the cage in which the nafs must be placed is called the sunnah. And the sunnah provides the perfect balance for ensuring that the nafs receives what it needs to receive without becoming a wild animal that controls us. It tells us what we can look at and what we can't look at. It tells us how much we should speak and how much we should remain silent. It tells us how much to eat and how much to remain hungry. It tells us where our goals should be. All of these things are little cages that the nafs is placed in. And these cages curtail the ability of the nafs to take control of us and allow us to remain in control. So the lesson for today is to not take the nafs lightly. By the way, this is not even a question of halal and haram. Halal and haram is a whole different question. That's a battle of Islam. That's not a battle of the nafs. When I talk about the nafs, I'm talking about just eating constantly. Every time I want something, I just grab it from the cupboard or from the pantry. I carry, you know, uh, extra six candy bars in my backpack. Every time I want to drink some this, I want that drink, I want this drink, I want this much milk, I want this much sugar, I want this much, you know, cold, this much hot. It, it, it's, it might sound wonderful. It might sound like it's a, a very desirable way to live. It might look apparently on the outside as if uh, you know, the person's enjoying life, but in the end, the only thing they're doing is creating an animal inside. The more we feed this nafs, the more we do what we want, 
uh, allow it to do anything that it wants, allow it to speak when it shouldn't be speaking, allow it to eat when it shouldn't be eating, allow it to interact when it shouldn't be interacting, allow it to go where it shouldn't go, allow it to think what it shouldn't think. It just takes control of us. And then the, the, the battle becomes exceedingly difficult to win. So you find that in the uh, science of spirituality, there's an emphasis placed on two things. Number one, the growth of the soul. And number two, the curtailing of the nafs. And this summates all of spirituality. Honestly, this summates all of spirituality. And I would argue that the battle between these two, between these two, the actual challenge lies at the level of the nafs, not at the level of the soul. Because as I mentioned in so many lectures before, inherently the five pillars, they bring everything that a Muslim needs. That is the essence of this deen. Everything that a person needs is already contained in the five pillars. The challenge lies at the level of the nafs. Until the nafs is curtailed, it's very, very difficult for the spirit to be able to breathe. Because the nafs will take every molecule of oxygen from that space. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us amongst those who are able to appreciate the balance between the body and the soul. May he make us amongst those who are able to curtail our nafs, and may he make us amongst those who are able to grow our souls. Wa akhirat da'wana, anilhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.